Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to uh, the Shibecast. My name's Johnny Goodtimes. I'm Reef. And we are absolutely thrilled today to be sitting down with an absolute uh, legend, not just of journalism, but just in Philadelphia in general. I mean, this guy is is uh, both uh, respected, appreciated, and loved all throughout the re uh, region. Uh, we want to welcome Ray Dinger to the show. Sir, please, thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Good to be yeah. with you guys. And and obviously, we're going to talk a lot of football. That's, you know, that's kind of the lead here. Uh, we also want to talk about your book, Finished Business. And uh, But I want to get started with some pro wrestling. Uh, I know you did a pro wrestling piece. I believe it was in an Orlando paper in the in the 80s. And uh uh, wanted to see kind of what your experiences were. You're, you know, you're a football guy, and all of a sudden they've got you covering uh, pro wrestling. What was that like? Uh, it was, uh, um, it was weird. That's a very strange alternate universe uh, out there. Um, and it was, uh, it was a, an idea that the, the sports editor, I was, I was writing for the Philadelphia Daily News then, and uh, the sports editor was a fellow named Mike Rathit. And uh, he had this idea. This was 84, 85, when wrestling was really sort of just booming. I mean, everywhere on cable TV, they had just launched the WrestleManias. Uh, I mean, wrestling was big, big time. Uh, and Mike uh, called me in his office one day and said, you know, what do you know about professional wrestling? What do you know about wrestling? And I said, nothing. Uh, and he said, well, you know, he said, it's red hot that they're selling out the spectrum. It's getting huge ratings on TV. I think we should do a five part series uh, in our paper about the growth of professional wrestling and why it's so popular. And um, and I tried and and he said, and I want you to do it. And I said, Mike, I've never turned down an assignment in my life. Uh, I don't want to be a bad teammate here. Uh, I said, but no, I, I said, I don't want any parts of this. And in fact, I tried to, I tried to say, you know, he was talking again about the, the numbers and how much money it was making. And I said, fine, it's great. I, why don't you let the features department do it? You know, the features department, they do TV, they do movies, they do all that stuff. You know, I, I said, it's not a sport. It doesn't belong in the sports section. It might belong in the newspaper. Sure. I'm not saying it doesn't belong in the paper, but it doesn't belong in the sports section. Well, Mike wasn't hearing any of that. He said, no, 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 we're going to do it in sports and you're going to do it. So uh, he assigned me to it and he gave me all kinds of time. I had about six months to work on it. Uh, they gave me a lot of money. I traveled the circuit. I took all the time, all the time I needed to gather my information. Uh, so I went all over the place. I went to local events and went to the spectrum, uh, Caught a couple matches up in Allentown in like a high school gym. I went to the Hershey Park Arena. Uh, then I went down south and did the uh, the Southern Tour uh, and met a whole different bunch of guys. And what came out of it was indeed a five part series uh, that um, it was it was certainly no fun for me. I mean, I wanted to <laughs> and in fact there was there was one point at one point I said I asked Mike to take my name off it. I said if you want to run this thing, run it without a byline. No, 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 no. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, when, once it ran in our paper, uh, it got picked up. Associated Press bought it and syndicated it across the whole AP chain. So, John, what you were alluding to, uh, the Orlando paper, was one of the papers that picked up the story from the AP wire. 
Gotcha. Uh, and it got it ran in, I think, 240 newspapers in the country, ran the whole five part series, uh, which, I mean, tells you more about how popular wrestling was at that time than anything that had me to do with me as a journalist or the writing. I mean, people were just it was the first time anybody in the legitimate media, I'm not talking about wrestling magazines, but in the mm -hmm. legitimate mainstream kind of media had ever really done a deep dive into professional wrestling. So uh, it got a lot of it got a lot of play and a lot of distribution. And it was it was really funny. Um, different papers had different logos that ran with it. And the Buffalo Evening News picked it up and ran it. And the logo they ran with it was uh, they called it Inside Professional Wrestling. Uh, and they ran a headshot of uh, of a guy with a mask on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I started getting all these emails or letters from people in Buffalo asking, is that you? <laughs> is, are you the guy with the mask on? I said, no, that's not me. That, they just pulled that out of the files. Uh, but I mean, that's that's some of the the uh, the just the kind of weird stuff that grew out of that series. But you know, when I was doing the book, just sort of looking back on my 50 years in the business, uh, obviously there was going to be a ton of football, Phillies World Series, Stanley Cup, all that stuff. But I had this whole this whole wrestling thing that, and I thought, should I really put it in the book? You know, I mean, does it really does it really belong in the book? Because it is such a it is such a left turn off of everything else I had ever done. But I thought, you know. Yeah, why not? I mean, just drop it in the middle of the book. And if people if people dig it, fine, they can read that chapter. If they don't, they can move on to the next one. But it was certainly, uh, you know, people still bring it up to this day. Was that, are you the guy that wrote the wrestling thing? So, you know, um, it turned out to be um, a very interesting, a very interesting six months of my life. Wrestling yeah. fans are extremely passionate. I'm sure you got some interesting fan mail or hate mail. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, what, what really... Um, I'll tell you what really what really helped the thing and, and gave it some real oomph was um, I kind of wanted to get inside how they made it work, how how they did it. Um, and uh, you couldn't get any of the guys who were currently on the circuit to talk to you honestly about how the matches were arranged and all that right. stuff. Nobody would do that. Um, but it just so happened, you know, just dumb luck, just pure timing. Uh, at the time that I was working on the series, there were two former wrestlers who were suing some promoters down south for money they were owed, for illegal business practices, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and they were trying to make their case public. They kind of wanted to talk about how the thing works and how the wrestlers are cheated. And so they were, they were looking to get their story out right at the time that I wanted to do the story. So that that just kind of fell in my lap. I found out about these two guys. I flew down to Atlanta, met them uh, over a couple of days, you know, and they just laid it all out for me. And so they, you know, they really kind of put the meat on the bone that made right. the series work. Right. Yeah, I know that back then there was, you know, the whole kayfabe thing, which is, you know, you had to pretend the, you know, the whole thing was was real and you were under contract to say that the whole thing was real. That's pretty wild. But let's let's talk some real uh, sports and let's right. talk some football, because obviously that's, you know, probably what you've done the most writing about through the years. And and you've gotten to cover all sorts of characters. Uh, are there any that stick out to you more than any other? I know you've uh 
I know you've talked to, uh, you know, Buddy Ryan through the years, Leonard Toes through the years. You know, there's all sorts of these uh, characters that you've been around, uh, Jerry Woolman even, um, through the years. Anybody that sticks out particularly in your mind? Oh, Tim Rosovich. Hmm. Tim Rosovich. Uh, that's kind of long ago now, and so younger fans might not remember who he was. But, yeah, I mean, you talk about characters. Yeah, it's Rosovich. Uh, he was... Uh, First round pick in 68, um, All-American from Southern Cal, defensive lineman, uh, who was just flat out crazy. Uh, and um, I, I had heard all the stories about him. Um, you know, he, he eats glass. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he eats light bulbs. Uh, he bites the tops off of beer bottles. Uh, he sets himself on fire. Uh, he jumps off hotel balconies. Um, he, um, uh, you know, like one time in a team, one time in a team meeting, you know, he was sitting with the team and he raised his hand and like, he's going to ask a question. And the coach says, yeah, Timmy. And he opened his mouth and a bird flew out. Uh, <laughs> now, I mean, that's, these were all the stories that I had heard about Timmy Rosovich before I started covering the team. I started covering him in 70. Uh, Timmy was there from 68, 69. So all this stuff was kind of out there. Uh, so when I came on the beat in 70, I had heard all the lore. Uh, and frankly, I, I didn't know how much of it to believe. I kind of believed very little of it. I mean, you know in sports how this stuff gets. I mean, people get little bits of stories, and then they get repeated, and then they get exaggerated. And then, then you wind up with this whole legend that really has very little basis sure. of fact. Sure. Um, so what I found out about Rosovich very quickly was, no, he was all of that. Um, everything that you had heard about him, everything you had thought about him, uh, it was true. Um, the, the best way I can describe it is my, one of my first days of training camp that year, 1970, they were training at Albright College in Reading then. Uh, and I had heard all these Rosovich stories. Uh, so I go up to training camp. I hadn't met him yet. He hadn't gotten there yet. But uh, a guy named Ron Medved, who was a defensive back on the team uh, and was sort of was sort of part of Rosovich's posse. Uh, and so he was there. So I one day uh, I bumped into him on, walking across the campus. And um, I said, hey, Ron, you know, um, I'm just kind of curious. I've heard, you know, I know you're, you're friends with Timmy. You know, I've heard, I've heard stories. And, and, and he said, believe it. And I said, <laughs> well, no, um, I mean, a, a story, I've heard, I heard a story about, no, believe it. Well, you don't even know what I'm going to ask you about. Now, believe it. You know, what, whatever you heard about him, believe it. I said, well, what about the, you know, the, yeah, he did it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, listen, I'm not, don't even bother asking me particulars. Whatever you heard about Timmy, <laughs> he did it. You put okay, it in print. Put let's, it in just print. Leave, let's just leave it at that. Um, and so um, it proved to be true. Uh, I mean, he was, uh, he was a strange one. Uh, but, uh, and when his, his football, his football career didn't, I mean, he was a much better player and should have had a much better career than he did. Uh, I think what happened was he had, um, he had had great success. He was a great high school player, played on a national championship team at Southern Cal with OJ, uh, hardly ever lost a game. Has, has the great misfortune of being drafted by the Eagles when they're at the absolute rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And I get the feeling he just lost interest in football. 
I mean, he had won. He had always been on a winner. He had always been on championship teams. And coming here and playing for a team that had no chance, he just got bored. He just lost interest. Uh, and that's why – that's part of – and he sort of explained that that's kind of why I do a lot of the crazy stuff I do because I'm just miserable and I'm bored. Right. Uh, and I'm not getting I'm not getting any thrill out of playing football anymore. So right. I just kind of have to do this other stuff to keep my own interest. <laughs> wow. Uh, and so that was um, – Timmy only played, uh, let me see, I guess he got traded in 72 to the uh, Chargers. Uh, and uh, and then he played one year in San Diego and then World Football League for a year. And then uh, went went to Hollywood and became a stuntman. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Which is probably what he should have been all along. Right. Uh, right. I, caught up, I caught up with him years later after I went to NFL Films. Uh, I, I decided we should really do a piece about this guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I went out and I tracked him down and interviewed him out in L.A. Uh, in his new life as a stuntman. And he was still Timmy. He really hadn't changed that much. But what he said was, you know, I, I, what I was doing, I just got so bored in Philadelphia and I hated the losing. I was I just found these other things to do. All this right. crazy stuff was just a way of sort of maintaining my own sanity. But you ask who's the character? That, mm -hmm. I, that sticks out. Oh, it, it's it's Tim Rosovich. Nice. Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. Um, I, I, so when you talk about that era, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, uh, those teams were awful. You were covering them. That's when you're just starting your career. Was there a point where you're like, this is never going to turn around? <laughs> uh, it felt that way in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. It did. Uh, um, but it really changed. Um, it really changed with the arrival of Vermeil. Uh, when when they hired Vermeil in '76, uh, he stepped into a. I, I really believe this when I say this. I think he stepped into the worst situation uh, of any coach in the history of professional football. Because <laughs> what he because what, what he inherited was was worse than an expansion team. People uh -huh. say, no, what could be worse than taking over an expansion team? No, there's something worse. I mean, <laughs> when, when you hire, when you inherit a team that hasn't won in a decade, uh, has a roster that's infested with guys with terrible attitudes and and no hope, and you compound that with the fact that the the regime that you're following has traded away all of your draft choices. Right. So you don't have any of the benefits of being at the bottom. But okay, we're picking one, and we're picking, you know, we're picking high. You know, Dick came in, took over this terrible team that hadn't won, the team that had a bunch of guys on the roster that couldn't play, and he, he has drafts where he's not picking until the seventh or eighth round. <laughs> and I'm not talking like the first round pick is gone. Right. I'm talking one's gone, two's gone, three's gone, four's gone. He didn't have – he took over the Eagles in 76. He didn't have a first-round pick till 79. So he had, a, he had to find a way to rebuild this team uh, with guys sixth round, seventh round, eighth round, whatever was left on the board, and undrafted guys that were just on the street, like Herman Edwards was yep. an undrafted guy, a, a cornerback that ran a four eight forty. I mean, who wants him in camp? But Dick had tried to recruit him as a college player, remembered him, knew that he was smart as hell uh, and real competitive, and said, you know, okay, he doesn't have all the measurables, but I believe that I can teach him and make him into a player. Herm came here and became a starting cornerback on a Super Bowl team. Yep. But it was guys like Herm and Wilbert Montgomery and these kinds of guys 
that Dick rebuilt this team um, with no resources, you know, an owner that was down in Atlantic City losing his shirt for the other night. Uh, you know, when you think about what he inherited and what he had to work with, uh, the fact that he was able to come in and make that a playoff team in three seasons, right. to me, is one of the great coaching feats of all time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring us up to our current birds. Last year was all the drama with the coaches and the new quarterback and all that. How do you think things are going to fare out this year for us? Well, it's a real um, anybody anybody that suggests that they have that they know or have an inkling, uh, I think is kind of kidding kidding you and maybe <laughs> kidding themselves. Sure, we don't know. I mean, you've got a a, a total rookie head coach. Uh, that we don't we, that we know very little about a guy that has very little track record. Um, you got a quarterback that played basically four games. Um, you got a roster with a lot of holes, um, and you've got a whole coaching staff beyond Nick Sariani. You've got a whole coaching staff of largely unknown guys. Unknown guys, yeah. Uh, and so, anybody that says that they got great confidence that yeah, this thing's ready to turn around, well, God bless you. I mean, I, I think you're, you know, I mean. You, you, I mean, you're a fan. You desperately want that to be the case. And, you know, I think we all hope that it is. But there's nothing you can kind of point, hold in your hands and say, yeah, I believe in this. Sure. You just you just don't. Yeah. You know, there's questions about the structure of the front office. Um, there's questions about the, the internal dynamic of the team. Is it even a healthy atmosphere down there right now? Um, I mean, when you think about how far this thing fell in just a couple of years, uh, to where it was last year, where they basically weren't even a competitive team for most of the season. Yeah. How how do you turn that around with so many new parts in one year? Very hard to do. You know, um, my feeling is I, I kind of like what I've seen of the new coach. Uh, I I don't know him. I haven't met him. Uh, I've seen his press conferences. Uh, I, I like his enthusiasm. Uh, I like his energy. The people I've talked to around the league, that know him uh, and have worked with him uh, or been around him uh, all speak very highly of him. Uh, I haven't spoken to anybody in the NFL that hasn't talked about how bright this guy is, what a very hard worker he is, uh, and what a good, positive, high energy kind of guy that he is. And what you know that whole thing that he's going to kind of bring to the building, um, which which they need. Um, the question, but the question that everybody's asked it's the only question and it's the only question that matters is is he ready for this uh -huh. you know? i mean everybody everybody seems to agree that when they were around seriani uh in indianapolis or in san diego they just sort of said hey this 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 kid's going places you know he's smart this is a guy's going to be a head coach someday you know you can just kind of see it some guys have that right. and uh -huh. people saw that in nick um along the way but the question is, is he ready for it now? Right. And is he ready for this situation, this town, this right. fan base, this media culture? Uh, right. For a guy that's never been a head coach, 39 years old, uh, team with a lot of problems, um, you know, is he, is he ready for this challenge? Um, that's, that's the question. You know, and, and that's, that's one that nobody can really answer. But I haven't had anybody say to me, "No, I don't know. I don't know what they see in him." You know, I, I you know, uh -huh. I, I don't, I don't think this guy's got the, got what, got the stuff to be a winning head coach in the NFL. Nobody said that. 
Uh, everybody has said, I really like him. I think he's a smart guy and I know he's gonna work his butt off. But the question everybody asks, the one qualifier, and I think they're right, is, is he ready for this challenge now? Sure. And you know, you know that, that's one of those time will tell things. Mm -hmm. were, were you surprised when they got rid of Doug? Yeah, I was. Mm -hmm. I was. Um, I was. Um, I, I mean, I was wrong. I mean, I, I was wrong every time I swung the bat at the end of this season. I mean, I, I thought, <laughs> I, you know, I thought that I thought Wentz would come back. Uh, I thought Wentz and Peterson would both be back. Um, I, I did. I had no idea that that Wentz was so determined to get out of here that he basically gave them the ultimatum that you know, right? No, I, I'm I'm done. I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, get what you can for me, but I ain't coming back here. Uh, I had no idea he felt that way. I knew mm -hmm. he was disgusted. I knew he was unhappy. I knew he was miserable because of the kind of year it was. But I didn't think it was to the point where he just get, he just went in and said, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know it went that deep with him. Okay, fine. That's how you feel. Good. I hope you do well in Indianapolis. Uh, but with Peterson, uh, I couldn't imagine – uh, I couldn't imagine firing a guy that had won a Super Bowl for you right. just right. a couple of years ago uh, in the manner in which he did it. Um, firing him on the basis of a year like 2020 when the whole world was upside down. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that to me was the, was the funny thing. I mean, I don't know how you could judge anybody on anything that happened in the last 18 months. Right. I mean, it was, it was a world yeah. unlike anything any of us had ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And I'd be pretty naive to think that that football was excluded from that. Football was a big part of it. All sports were. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I kind of thought that Jeff Lurie liking Peterson and obviously loving him for what he did in 2017 would just look at this and say, yeah, this, boy, this is a lousy year. You know, I mean, it, there's a lot of stuff that went on this mm -hmm. year right. you know, that nobody could control. I can't fire this guy. I can't get rid of a guy that just won me the Super Bowl on the basis of anything that happened this year. I got to give him one more year to see if he can get this thing back on track. That's what I thought it was going to be. Sure. Right. Not that not that Jeff would say, "Oh, it's all right, don't worry." Yeah. But he was going to say, "Look, no, I got to give him at least one more year to kind of get this thing right." The fact that both Wentz and Peterson are now elsewhere, um, to me, yeah, I I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you, you know, like you said, it was uh, just a couple of years ago that we were parading down Broad Street. And I know that, you know, was that kind of the impetus for the book was saying, OK, I've been doing this for 50 years. I'm kind of, you know, capping it with a Super Bowl victory, the very elusive Super Bowl victory. I mean, you've been covering the team almost for the whole Super Bowl era. And so, you know, was that sort of the impetus to write the book was like, we won one. Now let's take a look back at the previous 50 years. Yeah, that, that's it, John. It really is. If, if the Eagles had not won a Super Bowl, I don't think I would have written the book. Wow. How about that? I, I really do. I mean, um, they had uh, the people at Temple University Press, the publisher, uh, had talked to me a few years ago after, after I had done the three Eagles encyclopedias for them. Uh, and the gentleman who's the editor there had said to me, you know, you're coming up on 50 years of doing this in this town. You know, do you ever think about doing a memoir kind of thing? And, uh, eh, you know, I'm not really. And he said, well, you've seen a lot of things and you've met a lot of people and, you know, people are kind of interested in that, that whole period because they kind of lived it with you. Um, 
I said, okay, I'll tell you what, well, let's not even do a contract or anything. Let me, let me just start writing and see how I feel with it. You know, no commitment, no promises. Just let me start and see if I feel like it's going anywhere. And I did. Um, I spent like a couple of months and I wrote a couple chapters and, um, and I came back to him. I said, no, no, I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. You know? Um, and he said, okay, you know, no problem. And we just kind of walked away from it. Um, but then like the next year, you know, 2017 happens and the Eagles go on their run and they win the Super Bowl. And, you know, at that point, um, I thought that kind of gave the book like a hook. It kind of gave the book an ending. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it was it was as if the 50 years had kind of led somewhere, right? You know, which yeah. hadn't been true before. You know, I had seen, I had covered two Phillies World Series. I had covered the Flyers, two Stanley Cups. You know, I, I covered the Doc Moses team that won with the Sixers. And sort of the one missing element was an Eagles Super Bowl. And so when that finally happened, it kind of it kind of completed the whole picture, you know. And I felt like, okay, you know, now I think I really I think I really do have a book here, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's why. And even the title fit, you know, finished business. I mean, that was right. kind of, that was kind of, that was kind of how it felt. And um, but if they hadn't won that Super Bowl, John, no, I don't think I ever would have written the book. But the fact that they won it, and then we had the whole thing with my son. You know, being the cameraman that shot the Philly special, uh -huh. uh, you know, and he and I kind of had that moment on the post game show, which sure. really touched a lot of people yeah. more, way more than I expected. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it kind of was it, there was there was a sort of sense of culmination for the 50 years that, uh -huh. uh, that sort of, you know, I when I sat down and started writing this time, you know, now it all kind of fell into place. Right. Right. Gotcha. You've left your imprint on so many different mediums, uh, uh, TV, uh, newspapers, novels, radio. Is there any one particular that you prefer and what are the differences that you see in, in, in those mediums? Um, I still consider if, well, I still consider myself a writer. Mm -hmm. um, I still consider myself a writer. You know, people often ask me that, you know, you're, you, you've actually been doing broadcasting longer than you've been writing. Mm -hmm. uh, I was at the newspaper, I was a newspaper guy for 29 years. Uh, I've been in radio longer than that now. But when I think of myself, when I think of my career, if somebody asks, what What do you do? Um, I'll, I'll usually say a writer. Sure. Uh, even though, you know, I haven't really written other than the book. Um, I haven't written for newspapers since, geez, 1995. Yeah, uh, but that's, you know, but that was kind of what I started out to be. Um, when I went to college, I studied journalism. When I graduated from college, I got a job at a newspaper right away. And in all honesty, I really thought that was going to be my life. Right. You know, I, I thought I was going to be one of those newspaper lifers that, you know, that I'd, I would just do it for 50 years and I'd retire. And, and that to me was great. I mean, that was really kind of what I wanted to be. The, uh, the TV radio stuff just kind of just kind of happened, you know, there were just mm -hmm. kind of opportunities that just kind of happened. And I decided to give it a try and it turned out, you know, better than I had even hoped. And then I had, the, you know, I also had the 13 years kind of in the middle there where I went to work for NFL films. Right. And actually had an opportunity to be a producer and make movies, which right, right. I mean, I never thought that. <laughs> so um, a lot of things, you know, a lot of I've had the opportunity and the blessing really to do a lot of different things. But um, if you ask me, how do I how do I see myself? You know, I still kind of just see myself as a writer. I mean, that's what I set out to be, right. and um, 
and you know, now having had this opportunity to actually write my memoirs, gave me a chance to kind of put it all in, you know, in one in one neat little box. Nice. You, the book uh, is uh, Finished Business, My 50 Years of Headlines, Heroes, and Heartaches. I uh, want, want you to give us an example of a heartache of the past 50 years. Are there any any losses that have never really gone away? Anything that still kind of, uh, you know, gnaws at you? Or were, all, or were the, any of the heartaches exercised by the uh, Super Bowl? Oh, well, yeah, I think that that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the the heartache that still is unresolved predates my time in the business. It was 1964 Phillies. Mm, you know, right. I, I mean, yeah. I was I was a, I was a college student then. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. in September of '64, uh, I was just starting a temple. That was my uh, that was my freshman year at Temple. I just started I just started a temple September of 1964. Like my first day on campus was Chico Ruiz stole home. <laughs> and, <laughs> wow. You know, and the uh, and the and the ten ten game losing streak began. Right. Um, and one of the things I write about in the book is how, um, I mean, it almost. I don't. I'm not. I don't brag about this, but it's the tr- It's it's the truth. Uh, I mean, it almost caused me to flunk out of school. That the Phillies <laughs> collapsed. You know, because that that whole time, you know, that first year on a college campus is such a time of adjustment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, for one thing, you're I'm coming out of an all boys Catholic high school. Uh, and now all of a sudden I'm surrounded by girls in class. So that's, that's <laughs> enough distraction. Then you combine that with the fact that the, every night the Phillies are one more step towards blowing the pennant. Uh, I mean, that whole first semester to me at Temple, it was a blur. I mean, I, I, I'm sitting in class. I'm not listening to a thing. I'm sitting there in sociology class and I'm writing down, you know, Cookie Rojas, Johnny Callison. I'm, I'm not taking a single note about the, what the teacher's saying. I'm thinking right. about that night's game. Yeah, you're thinking about uh, the lineup. Then, then it would come, and I would go home. I'd listen to the radio. They would lose the game. I'd be too depressed to study. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, that first semester, I just, I, I bombed. Uh, yeah. I mean, I went on academic probation. I mean, I was one step away from being kicked out the door. Wow. And um, when my transcript, <laughs> when my transcript was mailed home, <laughs> And I came home and my parents got it before I did, before I could hide it. Uh, uh, you know, I walk in and my father's like got it in his hands and I know what it is. And he says, you know, what the hell is this? And uh, and I said, Dad, Philly, it's all Gene Mox. <laughs> <laughs> Which he didn't. He didn't. He didn't find that an acceptable answer. Right. Um, he agreed, but, um, but it was not acceptable. But you know, but, but you know, it, I mean, okay, it was a bad joke, but there was there was more than a little bit of truth. It's true. There's a little truth. There's more than a little bit of truth to that uh, because I I wasn't the only one in this city that emotionally unraveled uh, over that time. I mean, I saw I saw the faces of the people on the Broad Street subway every day when I was going up the temple. And they were hurting just the way I was hurting too. So mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people's lives got wrecked that year. <laughs> so um, when you ask about what was my greatest disappointment, you know, it predates my time in the business. But that's really it. I mean, sixty-four mm-hmm. Phillies, that whole thing. I to this day, I still haven't gotten over it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Ray, we want to thank you so much for hopping on with us. The book is Finished Business, My 50 Years of Headlines, Heroes, and Heartaches. Uh, you can pick it up at Shibe Sports. You can get it online. Uh, and we, uh, as always, just an absolute pleasure, pleasure, sir. We can't, uh, can't thank you enough. Thank you, sir. Must continue success. Oh, thank you very much, guys. It was a real pleasure. Uh, John, I hope things are going well at Shive. I love your store, and uh, I hope you continue stocking that Philadelphia Ramblers merchandise. All right, I know, <laughs> I know. He gotta Ray, bring the Ramblers back. Ray, <laughs> we got to bring back the Ramblers. We got to, man. I think we got to. Just, I, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm going to hang up and talk to Brian now. I'm going to say that. Uh, I'm going to say that Ray demands that we bring the Rambler shirt back. Got to do it now. And listen, and also, and also, good luck with the Eagles book that you guys are putting together. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. Brian, Brian talked to me about that, asked if I had any pictures, extra pictures lying around that I could donate to the cause. So um, <laughs> right. all, I, all I can tell you is with a little experience on Eagles encyclopedias, you put anything out there for that Eagles audience and you got a winner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we will uh, hopefully talk to you soon. I hope so too, John. Take care. Have yeah, a great right, day. Bye-bye.